Today we're beginning a sermon series that we're calling Why Church? We've been thinking about this series for some time and uh, today seemed like a good day to kick it off. So in the next few weeks we'll be making a case for Why Church? It's a case that needs to be made in this day and in this culture when things seem to be different than they once were. I was reflecting on growing up and I remember a phrase that we used to say in my little rural town, are you going to church? And what we meant by that was, are you going to a meeting? And that meeting might be a worship service or it might be some kind of event or a fellowship um, uh, gathering. And those fellowship gatherings always had really good food. And, you know, in in rural... uh, United States of America, especially in rural East Texas, uh, in my little hometown growing up that was less than a thousand, if it was going on in town, it was happening at the church. The church was the lifeblood. And you could point to very few people who didn't go to a church in town who weren't members of a church. Church was a different kind of experience. It was community. It was fellowship, it was ministry, it was outreach. Much of what we experience today, but the culture is different. In fact, even um, those of us who are a little bit more mature, um, we don't go to church with the same regularity as we used to, right? And for the younger generations, I think the church is very challenged to present itself in a way that continues to be relevant, in a way that continues to be vital, in a way that continues to make a difference, and a way that continues to say we are about the work of transforming a world in need. So today the question is, why church? I'd like for us to turn this morning in our Bibles to uh, two passages of Scripture. We're going to start with the 25th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, beginning with the uh, 31st verse, a very familiar passage of Scripture, the teachings of Jesus. This particular teaching is entitled The Last Judgment, but we'll recognize it as the one related to the sheep and the goats. So I'd like to ask us to all stand for the reading of God's Word. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people from another as a shepherd separates sheep and the goats. He will put the sheep at the right and the goats at the left, and then the king will say to those on the right hand, Come ye that are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, When was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? 
And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. We're not going to read the rest of that. We know it wasn't so good for the goats, right? But I'd like us to turn to the 28th chapter of Matthew. This text, beginning with the 19th verse, we entitle the Great Commission. Some of the last words Jesus um, said, recorded by Matthew. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's the one time the Holy Trinity formula is mentioned. Father, Son, Holy Spirit in the Scripture. And then the next part of this commission. And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Now, friends, you're going to have to allow me to be a little bit personal today. I mean, I just baptized my grandbaby. And if you'll allow me to be a little bit personal today, I want to connect this scripture text to not only um, the sentiments of a grandfather, but hopefully to the sentiments of every Christian who hears the Great Commission and who follows the teaching of Jesus. I've had the great privilege of baptizing our grandbaby, and by our, I mean Tammy and Penny and Bob and my granddaughter, Claire Marie Copeland, that we affectionately call Claire Bear. Now, Claire Bear was born in Houston on January the 21st, 2018, which means that she is nine months old today. We celebrate her monthly birthdays. She is the daughter of Zachary Barnes and Emily Marie Schmidt Copeland, and Claire is Tammy's and uh, my first grandbaby, therefore she is perfect. <laughs> you know, officiating at baptisms is a great honor, and I count it as one of the greatest privileges that I have as an ordained pastor. Now let me make a distinction this morning related to ordination. Did you know that any of you could be ordained and do a wedding in the state of Texas or nearly any state in the union? Did you know that? I mean, today you can leave this worship service, go home, and get an online ordination for less than 100 bucks, and you can do a wedding. And the state of Texas will honor your ordination. Did you know it? Yeah, you knew it. But the state of Texas and any state could care less about Claire Bear's baptism or any baptism or the promises that we have already made to nurture this little one in Christ's holy church 
that our teaching and example to Claire will be guided to accept God's grace for herself to profess faith openly and lead the Christian life. The state doesn't care about that. Only weddings, not baptisms. The baptized are those about whom we say that they are first loved by God no matter what. And I don't know of a greater message that we have to share with the world than that. The baptism mark is the mark of God's first love no matter what. And that mark has been shared with most everyone in this room. You are marked as first loved by God. And we the church, that the little ones who are baptized before they even understand what is going on, will come to know the love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for themselves. You know, this past week in preparation for this service, I've been thinking a lot about baptism from a personal perspective. The Reverend David Williamson baptized Claire Bear's father, our son, Zachary Barnes. At the First United Methodist Church of Henderson, Texas, at least two of you were there. I see you in the back. You were there. It was Mother's Day, 1986. We'd all gathered as family, and it wasn't too hard to do since Henderson and Chandler and Tyler were just a few miles apart. But I've remembered this past week about when Zach was baptized, I had just recently been diagnosed with a very serious, life-threatening cancer diagnosis. And how important that baptism was for, for me, our family, to be able to stand and to say for Zach and for all of us that we worship a God, an almighty God, always present, who will take care of his children on this side and the other side of the Jordan, in life, in death, in life beyond death, God is with us. We are not alone. And then a few years later, Emily Grace was born, and we baptized her at the First United Methodist Church in Houston, Texas. Now, Emily was named Grace after a saint of that church, her name was Mary Grace Randerson. And Mary Grace had babysat uh, both Emily and Zach uh, hundreds of times. And, and she was that stand-in-the-gap kind of person that came to our rescue on more than one account. And we just had to name our baby after Mary Grace. But we also recognized that Grace was not only a word or a name that we had gotten from somebody else, but grace was an experience that we had had. For in 1993, my dealing with chemotherapy was over. It had been a five-year journey. I was on an experimental drug. We couldn't get pregnant during that time, but as soon as I got off that drug, here came Emily. And what a gift of grace she was. And we were reminded again that our God's love is with us until the end of the age. 
just as Jesus promised. Friends, you see, baptism is the unique work of the church. And if all the church did was baptize and mark people as God's first love and to live the vow that we have made to bring people up until they can accept that love of God for themselves and live in the Christian way, it would be a lot. It would be a lot and an important lot for all of us to be committed to if that were the only thing the church was commissioned to do. The world out there with its enticing ways and the state for that matter could care less about baptism and the mystery of God's love that we celebrate when we celebrate baptism. Those of us who acknowledge those mysteries as truth about God and that little ones are God's most cherished creation care tremendously about our connection to the ministry and our connection to the little ones. So why church? Because living into this mystery reminds that us that we can't know everything, that, that there are some things that we're just not going to know. We're just not that smart to know everything about the mysteries of God. And also, why church? Because all of God's children are family. Family to God first and to us as the church. And we need to be clear about the message of God's first love. You know, sometimes when we read this text that we call the Great Commission, we think it is all about baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, which it is. But the second part of that commission is so important too. We hear the words of Jesus say to us, the church, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Admittedly, this is the first time I've baptized a grandbaby. So I've thought a lot about the vow that we, the church, take to teach them everything that I have commanded you. In thinking about what we, the church, teach, I conclude that we start with the very person of Jesus. Jesus commanded us to love as Jesus loved. He didn't uh, command us to love only in keeping with the golden rule, but Jesus raised the bar. Remember in that scene in the upper room when he washed the disciples' feet, he gave them that great commandment when he said, love as I have loved you. And so in hearing this commandment, we call um, the great commandment, we know that the bar of love has been raised, that we raise after the example of Jesus, and that is the teaching that we're called to share. So how did Jesus love? Jesus loved with compassion of a loving God. Jesus loved without judging those whom others called Sinners. 
Jesus loved those whom others judged as unclean. Jesus loved with grace, not considering whether the person who was receiving the love deserved it. Jesus loved with a healing power to those who were sick. Jesus loved with words. Jesus loved with actions. So why church? Why church? Because we teach people to love like Jesus loved. And we need help from one another, the community of faith, to get it right. You know, the first text that we read today from Matthew, the 25th chapter, is one of the great parables of Jesus. And we know that the teaching style of Jesus was to often use parables. And so here we have Jesus giving us an example in a parable of the way we are called to love. At best, a selfless love. At best, a love that comes natural. The very God of our faith living through us. You know, I love this passage of Scripture because it it, it centers on that word when. For, For those whom the king came to said, when did we see you hungry and act to feed you? And when did we see you thirsty and act to give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and act to welcome you? And when did we see you naked and act to give you clothes? And when did we see you sick and in prison and act to visit you? And then the king says, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Mother Teresa once said, I never look at the masses as my responsibility. I look at individuals. I can love only one person at a time. I can feed only one person at a time. So you begin with one, she said. If I didn't pick that one person, I couldn't have picked up 42,000 people. My whole work is like a drop in the ocean. But if I didn't put that drop in the ocean, the ocean would be one drop less. I think that's important for us to hear. The church is made up of individuals and the church is not perfect. But as individuals, we seek out other individuals to love Christ in this way. You know, our actions may not be the solution that solves the health care crisis in America. But we may be that transportation of an elderly person to the doctor. And in so doing, we know that love. Our, Our actions may not be the cure to cancer. But a card or a prayer or a prayer shawl given to one who's facing a very scary prognosis can be that love. Our actions may not be able to solve the opioid crisis, 
But when we can make friends with a a kid who's on the edge and can influence positively, we know that love. We are the church. And why church? Because no other institution calls us to love like Jesus and calls us to love Jesus in loving others.